Uh, my name is Ed. If you're visiting with us, uh, if this is your first time, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway, and we're so glad to have you. We're going to begin this morning with, we're, we're in a series of conversations uh, about prayer. And we're going to begin this morning with some of the promises of prayer. Mike, give me those uh, scripture passages, if you would. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Matthew 21, 21 and 22. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. And if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And finally, John 15, 7, and we could do more, but we'll stop with this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, these promises almost make us blush at their audacity. Jesus must have known how normal human beings interact with prayer. You'd think he'd be embarrassed himself to say some of this stuff. Last week, we began a new series on prayer, and we talked about what prayer is. And today, we're going to talk about why we should do it. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the testimony that we heard and saw this morning. We're thankful for the gift of life and the gift of new life. Lord, we pray for your world. Uh, we remember the Middle East. We pray for peace. Father, we ask in the midst of all of that, that this morning you would break open our chests and massage your truth into it. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Why should we pray? Maybe the simplest answer is because we can't help it. The philosopher and psychologist William James once said, the reason why we pray is that we simply can't help praying. And I suppose that's true. I'm, I'm reminded of the old army chaplain proverb, there are no atheists in foxholes. We probably can't help ourselves from praying. But that's, that's not the best answer. The best answer for why we pray might be because Jesus prayed. In fact, it seems like he prayed a lot. And he assumed that we would pray as well. At one point in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray. He knew all about doubt. He knew about disappointment. Still, when you pray, as if to say, let me give you some advice because I know you're going to do it at some point. It's also true that many other saints from the Bible prayed. In fact, that's so true that when we don't see a pattern of prayer, a habit of prayer listed for someone in the Bible, we really assume that it was there, it was part of their life, it's just not recorded. And it's certainly the case that all the saints throughout, the great saints throughout church history, they prayed. But that doesn't completely answer our question, does it? Why should we pray? Why should we pray? Let's be honest for a moment. One philosophy professor put our question fairly well, I think. You've had this question, most of you, and you've certainly heard it. 
He said this, if God can influence the course of events, then a God who is willing to cure colds and provide parking spaces, but is not willing to prevent Auschwitz and Hiroshima is morally repugnant. And since Auschwitz and Hiroshima did occur, one must infer that God cannot, or has a policy never to, influence the course of worldly events, end quote. I mean, the obvious conclusion for many people is that God doesn't exist. And if he does exist and he allows all these terrible things to happen, then he's certainly not worth praying to. Why should we pray? Let's set aside for a minute the benefits of communing with God just for a second. Now look, there are plenty of benefits with, with, with connecting to God, with communing with God. We don't even have to look at the Bible. There are numerous studies, real, on the ground, scientific studies that demonstrate that people who pray are more relaxed, their hospital stays are shorter, and they live longer on average. Let's assume for a second that all of that is true, and it's, it's awesome, but what about praying for things in Jesus' name as we're instructed to do in the Bible? What about praying for God to meet our needs or the needs of those that we love? Why should we do this? In fact, one Christian counselor went so far as to say that the teaching of Jesus on prayer can be summarized in one word, asking. Well, if that's true, why should we ask? Does it actually make any difference? Now, we're going to say some things over the next three weeks that will speak to this question, but I want to address it right up front right at the beginning of a conversation on prayer. There's really no sense in talking about prayer without dealing with the elephant in the room. And the elephant is, why doesn't God answer our prayers all the time? Some of you would think, any of the time. Why does it feel like I'm talking to the ceiling? Does prayer make a difference? Why should we pray? I was listening to a a podcast on prayer recently uh, during which they raised this question. And uh, one of the podcasters was a, a, a 30-year-old woman. She was a pastor of a church in New York City, and she talked about her gut-wrenching struggle with infertility. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed desperately and with faith, and nothing happened. She was telling about one particular service she attended. I thought this was interesting The speaker was one of the other hosts of the podcast, and she reminded him of a sermon that he preached on the great promises of Jesus about prayer. It was one of the passages that we read earlier this morning, and uh, she confessed very honestly that her heart and her eyes feel filled with white-hot tears of anger and disappointment. She was so angry she had to leave the service, and on a podcast about prayer, She left that moment hanging. I recently read an account of a 41-year-old woman who was raised in a Jewish home but came to believe that Jesus was her Messiah. She wrote of her conversion and then of a daunting trial with breast cancer that spread to her lungs and liver. She wrote of vacillating back and forth, crying out to God at points and then completely withdrawing from him at others. She said this, What's the point of praying for something to happen? I can understand the point of praying as a means of simply trying to establish communion with God, but why should I pray for someone to be healed or for my husband to get a job or for my parents to come to salvation? By the way, 
This one was a teacher at a, a local Christian elementary school, and she gave her kids in her classroom an assignment one day. If you meet Jesus walking down the street, what would you ask him? And she asked them to, to write about that. And most of the students wrote things like, um, what is heaven like? Or what were you like when you were a kid? But one child wrote, why won't you heal my mom and why doesn't my dad find a job? And with a pang, she recognized the handwriting of her son. On the one hand, we have these extensive, exciting promises from Jesus that make the boldest of us blush if we take them seriously. And on the other hand, we have infertility and unhealed cancer and joblessness, not to mention Auschwitz and Hiroshima. I've lingered over this difficulty intentionally this morning. I know there are some of you here or watching me who are thinking, Ed, why don't you say this? Or, Ed, why don't you say that? But I want you to pause. I'm going to be blunt with you for a second. I, I suspect that some of, you are think, some of you who are thinking that have never allowed yourself to struggle honestly with this stuff. You have papered over your own concerns and disappointments, much less those of others. Everything happens for a reason, only goes so far. And when we say that, we have to even ask ourselves, what does that mean? So listen, I'm not going to fully answer all of those concerns. Not today and, and not through this entire series. No one can. But I want to give us some pointers I hope, I pray that, that these pointers will help us manage our doubts and our disappointments and also motivate us, motivate us to pray more often and more earnestly, motivate us to stay in the struggle. Because if Jesus is to be believed, and he is, then our prayers matter a great deal. There are things that will not happen in our children's lives, in our lives, if we don't pray. First, I want to talk about the benefits of, of asking, just the benefits of asking in prayer. I mean, not, not the benefits we get, but the benefits of just the dynamic of asking in, in the relationship with God. I think some of this reflection will surprise you. Secondly, I want to look at the prayer life of Jesus for hints about how to an answer, uh, how to handle our unanswered prayer. And finally, I want to give you some categories that that will help you think about and, and process the experience of not getting what you want out of prayer. All right, let's walk through that. So how does asking for things in prayer benefit us? As we answer this, I think you'll see that, that this is not accidental. The, the whole arrangement of creating a dialogue of us asking and God responding, this is very intentional on God's part. The first and most important benefit of asking is that asking encourages relationship. This is always true, and it's true of our relationship with God. Think about that John 15 verse that we read at the beginning this morning. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's all about relationship. That's the context of the ask here. If we are deeply connected, then ask. Some of you know that throughout that chapter that that verse came from, chapter 15 of John, Jesus is using a beautiful illustration of a grapevine system, and he says that he is the true vine, we are the branches intimately related to one another. This is the context of our ask. 
And we know from our experience that this ask-answer dialogue just assumes relationship. It actually deepens and encourages relationship. Asking encourages relationship. Think of a friend that you have who can never share their needs. You may even know what they need, but you still love for them to talk about it. Their silence can act like a barrier in the relationship. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Always fine. You know, better than I have a right to be. Or, how are you? Man, I'm really struggling. I need some help knowing what to do next. Can you help? Which of those encourages relationship? As they share, we are drawn closer to one another. Jesus wants us to ask because asking deepens our relationship. Jesus, can you help? And we're drawn together. Secondly, asking also strengthens and encourages our participation. Hang on to this one. Follow me in this. Remember the principle, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. God requires us to participate with him. He doesn't overwhelm our will. He requires that we believe. He requires that we pray. He requires that we participate. He requires that Pete say, I'm in. Finally, I think I'm in. This is not a small thing. Listen, the Bible makes it clear that we will one day, this is incredible, but that we will one day rule with him. It literally uses that language. We will participate with him in ruling the earth. Our asking strengthens that participation muscle. It prepares us for that. It's like a child learning the basics of the family business. Jesus wants us to ask because he wants us to participate in his work. He wants us to join him in his work, in our children, in our community. He wants, him to join, he wants us to join him in his work in our lives and in the world. Do you know the New Testament story, I bet some of you do, of the blind man who's on the side of the road crying out for Jesus to heal him? Well, when Jesus got near the man, Jesus stopped, and some of you will remember this, Jesus stopped and asked, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Isn't that pretty clear? Maybe, maybe he wants to see. Jesus, maybe he wants you to heal his blindness. But Jesus wants this man to step in. He wants him to participate. What do you want me to do? I need you to ask. Just think of the difference between doing something for someone that they haven't asked about versus answering a request. Now, certainly, there are times when it is an awesome act of service to do something for someone without, without being asked. I love it when people do that for me. But if you want to participate with them, as opposed to doing something to them, you wait to be asked. Remember, as I started earlier, I started earlier to say this, so I want you to see this. Mike, let's put those three things up on the screen, if you would. Jesus told us that he would give us his glory. John 17, Colossians 3. Paul reminded us that we will be co-heirs with Christ. What he inherits, we will inherit. We will also, as I said, reign with him. Add those things together. I mean, our lives are much more significant than we realize. 
We will participate with him in all of his activity. We are called to participate with him beginning now. And through our asking, we participate. And we're being trained to fully participate with him one day. One more benefit. Asking reveals the depth of relationship, both to us and the askee. Tyler Staten, in his book on prayer, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, isn't that a great title? He offered a great illustration of this point, that, that asking reveals the depth of relationship. He said, when he goes out to dinner with his wife, at some point he's going to say to her, are you going to eat all of that? But when he goes out with a casual friend, he would never ask that. Because the asking and the kinds of questions that we ask reveals the depth of relationship. This is the idea behind Jesus' illustration in Luke chapter 11. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Look, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Because asking, the ask-answer dialogue, reveals the nature and the depth of a relationship. We know this principle. Intimate relationship elicits intimate asking. Asking reels the depth of our relationship. Some of us are unwilling to go before God on our knees and say, please heal this, because we don't have that deep of a relationship. So there's, there are benefits to asking. That's why God built that dynamic into our spiritual lives. He wants us to ask. Ask, and it will be given. Ask, and you'll find and when you give up asking, the relationship weakens. The reverse is also true. When the relationship with God is strained, you give up asking. But sometimes we ask and nothing happens. So why should we ask? <laughs> Do our prayers make any difference? As I said, I'm not going to fully answer that. No one can. But I, I think we can learn something, first of all, from, from Jesus and from his prayer life and from pause from the difficulty in his prayer life because surprisingly, he faced it as well. First of all, you may have already thought of this. Jesus, clear, Jesus clearly teaches us first before we get to difficulty in his prayer. Jesus teaches us that prayer matters, both in his teaching and by his example. He taught us that prayer makes a difference. Think about that. Think about that. I love the way Philip Yancey put this. Philip Yancey said, when doubts creep in and I wonder whether prayer is a sanctified form of talking to myself, I remind myself that the Son of God, who spoke worlds into being and sustains all that exists, felt a compelling need to pray. He prayed as if it made a difference. So Jesus proves our prayers matter. And yet, we also learn something from him about the limits of prayer. From Jesus' prayer life, Think of the prayer he prayed on the last night of his life. And I, I bet you some of you have already thought of this. Let this cup pass from me. But it did not pass. He drained that cup dry. I also think of Jesus' long prayer recorded for us in John 17. In that prayer, he actually prayed for the future church, and that's us. And he, pray, he had like one request. And his request was, quote, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you. That we might be one. That's our community stuff. That we might be one, as, as one with one another, as the Trinity is one with one another. And yet, at last count, 
the number of Christian denominations and sects is approaching 35,000. That can't be what Jesus had in mind. I also think of his prayer when choosing his disciples. The Bible tells us that he retreated to a mountainside and spent the night in prayer. And the next morning he came down and he chose 12 students to be his disciples. He designated them as his disciples. He made it Facebook official. But when, when you read the rest of the biographies, it's hard to imagine that that dirty dozen was the answer to his prayer. They would deny him. One utterly betrayed him. Offered him up to be killed. And that doesn't even count how widely they missed the mark in understanding him. Don't snooze on this. Jesus experienced disappointment in prayer. We also learn something from what Jesus doesn't pray. For example, when his cousin, some of you know this incident, when his cousin, John the Baptist, faced execution, certain execution, Jesus didn't pray for release or miraculous delivery. Or when Satan asked permission to tempt Peter, literally, Jesus said, Satan asked permission to sift you like wheat. Jesus did not pray that Satan would keep his hands off. As I said, I don't have full explanations here, but it's clear that God sometimes answers prayer by saying no. And at other times, it's difficult to know what his answer is. And through all of that, we get the clear impression that God operates with restraint at times. What I mean is, he does not intervene. He will not overrule existing conditions always. Jesus has to know this better than any of us, and yet it does not stop him from praying. Frequently and boldly. And while he experienced some prayers going unanswered at other times, he saw the miraculous because he prayed and prayed and prayed. We cannot remove the mystery in this. Jesus, Jesus did not remove it, either in his teaching or in, in the example of his own praying. He did not explain this to us. But I do think there are some ways of thinking about it that can be helpful. So let's end with this. There are categories we can give ourselves that help us think through our disappointments in prayer. We may refer back to this through the, the rest of this series. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. I'm just giving you this for information. You'll need to process this and think about it and download it for yourself later. But there, there, are, there are categories that I think can give, we can give ourselves that help us with our disappointments in prayer, both emotionally and theologically. Now, this will not solve our problem, but I believe it can help. Having some handles can help, so let me offer some categories. By the way, Pete Gregg, who, who writes eloquently about prayer, he wrote a very honest book on prayer called God on Mute. And he summarized what's been taught by many in the history of the church, but I especially like the way he put the categories. Not all of them talk about it this way. Greg talks about the three categories that will explain our disappointment in prayer as God's will, God's world, and God's war. God's will, first of all, there are times when God's great will does not permit him to agree with our prayer. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah predicts that one day a hero, a Messiah will come, but he will suffer on behalf of God's people. And verse 10 of Isaiah 53 actually says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
This was God's will for the Savior. So Jesus' prayer to let this cup pass from me, this was not going to find a positive answer because it was not in keeping with God's will. Billy Graham's wife once said that she was glad God did not answer all of her prayers. If he had, she would have married the wrong man three times. God's great will is to redeem and to save and to make holy and to make eternally joyful a people for himself. That's us. A people in perfect relationship with one another and with him. This is his will for us, and it's so good. And sometimes our prayers for immediate relief or for circumstantial change, sometimes those prayers run counter to God's will, and he will not agree with those prayers. And in the long run, we are served by that rejection. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because of God's will. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because of God's world. God created a beautiful and elegant world with laws that govern that world, spiritual and emotional laws, and I believe that, and also physical laws. So if I am holding a gigantic anvil over my foot and it slips out of my hand, if I pray really quickly, God will not suspend the laws of gravity. It's going to hit my foot and it's going to hurt a lot. It will not float because that's not God's world, and Acts 27 describes a uh, uh, incident when there's a, a huge storm and Paul is in a ship in this storm. And you know what happens to ships in terrible storms? They wreck. And that's what happened in Acts 27. Paul was in that ship praying, but that ship wrecked. Now, God saved the life of everyone on that ship, but that ship did what ships do in storms. I, I listed on the screen here, just a random verse about the death of, of one of Israel's kings, King Ahab, in battle. You can find this throughout the Old Testament. There's battles and there's war and, and uh, Israelites die because that's what happens when people throw spears at one another. Recognition of God's world shouldn't discourage us from praying. Continue to pray. But when your prayer is not answered, recognize that one of the categories might be God's world. We should still pray to make our flight when we're running late. But we should recognize that if that prayer is not answered, it just means that God decided not to suspend the laws of time and space so that you could uh, occupy 20 minutes and make it there when everybody else was suspended or that, that everyone else would be made late to their destination so that you could be convenienced and, and make yours. God's world. A third reason why uh, we sometimes, our prayers are sometimes not answered is God's war. And this is the category that some of us struggle with the most. So let's be clear. We don't have time to deal with this fully today, but there are spiritual forces with wills of their own that stand against us and against the will of God. The Apostle Paul went so far as to say this. Listen to this. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For those of you who have unanswered prayers about your children, we must remember that there is a willpower involved in that struggle beyond just God's and our children's. The enemy of our, our soul and of their souls does not want to see our children flourishing emotionally and spiritually. He does not want them walking in God's power. He is opposing your prayer. 
And if you are struggling in your marriage, you may need to remember that your struggle is not principally against flesh and blood. It's not principally against your spouse. Your struggle is against the evil powers and principalities that are engaged with your spouse and with you. One of the reasons our prayers are not answered is because of God's war. Fortunately, greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. Greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, I want us to deal with this for, for just a moment. Uh, stand with me if you would. I'm going to ask uh, Trisha and Phil if they would go over to the wall over there and just wait on us for a minute. So I want you to think about two directions. I want you to think about your struggle for a second. And be honest with yourself and as honest before God as you can be. Think about your struggle. I've just given some suggestions. You're in the middle of a specific struggle right now with an unanswered prayer. Or you feel bruised from past struggles. Or you don't really sense struggle with God. If that's your answer, that, that may be because you have the gift of faith and you need to rejoice. Seriously. And I mean that pointedly rebuking you if you're not rejoicing for that. It also may be because you've just papered over, you're, you're too afraid to deal with your struggles. Or uh, I'm going to give a, another alternative because um, I'm going to have you turn in a second and talk about this. Uh, I don't know. And that might mean, you know, I don't know. I need more time to think about it. Or it might mean, please don't ask me right now, none of your business. And that's, that's fair as well. Where are you on the struggle meter? And then the second part of this is where, what's the faith condition? Where, where, where are you on the faith meter? Struggling but believing? Strong in my faith, ready to engage, even if it's a struggle. Don't really know what I believe right now. Don't know what's going on. Or don't know. Once again, either I need more time to process this or none of your business. And I'm going to give you a second to think. Uh, let's do this artfully. I'm going to have you turn toward one another, turn toward someone that you didn't come with this morning. If you're in a circle of people with someone that you don't know super well, that's even better. I know that's more awkward, but that's even better. Uh, I want you to circle up, not just with the people that you came with, not just with your family. Try to keep the circles manageably small so everyone will have a chance to say something. I'm not going to give you time to fully answer, but I, I, I'm trying to force us to process. And then we're going to have a time of prayer at the end. During that time of prayer, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up if they would. During that time of prayer, right now, worship team, come up. During that time of prayer, um, I'll pray over you, and Trisha and Phil are on the wall. And if you would like prayer this morning about what you're stumbling into in the next moment or a, just a thing that you're struggling with and you're laboring with uh, an unanswered prayer in your life, don't, don't leave without getting that prayed for. Don't leave without having somebody join you in that. All right, so let's take a minute. Don't, uh, let's do some work. Don't, don't go to sleep on this. Where are you in the struggle? And where are you in terms of your faith? in facing the struggle. Now, if you're afraid to say, 
I, uh, I'm, I'm nowhere in terms of faith. Don't be afraid to say that. that the psalmist said that frequently. <laughs> just, just own that and say it to him. All right. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes for a second as you just, you're thinking through struggle and where you are on the faith meter. stand alone. Don't just circle up with the people you came with. I want you to circle up. Keep them manageably small. Let's don't go over six. And uh, try to speak to this. You know, where are you on the struggle meter? How would you define that? Uh, last bullet is other. You know, you may have another answer. And, and where are you on the faith meter this morning? So uh, circle up. Just remain standing and circle up. Let's make it kind of quick.
why don't you take one more minute Let's wrap it up. Find your way back to your seat. And when you get back to your seat, you can sit down. Well, I recognize that um, I have not given you time to to, to deal with this thoroughly, but um, as quickly as you can, return to your seat. Let's sit down. A number of years ago, I'm sorry I'm keeping us a little bit long, but uh, I'm not going to tell the story. I want to tell it during this series, so remind me, David, to tell the story that I'm not about to tell. But several years ago, uh, I, I was in, a, in a, a, you know, a tough spot spiritually. I honestly didn't know how tough it was because I was sort of burying myself in work and we were pretty new to Northern Virginia was starting Gateway and I read a book by this one of the guys that I quoted this morning Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God here's the thing the disappointment the recognizing my disappointment that worked really well the overcoming the disappointment get out of it getting out of it the back half of the book not so well and I was bruised and uh, I had to I'm not going to tell that story this morning, but I will tell it before this series is over. Uh, God did really good stuff because of that. Because of that work in me. And uh, he used it for others as well, I think. I don't mean you guys, but maybe you guys too. Um, so uh, don't, don't leave this morning with something unsettled. we got people here to pray for. So uh, stick around and, and have them pray. Let's kind of wrap up this time. Let's, let's close our prayer with a long amen. So let's stand again and let's, let's sing this chorus with Sarah. Uh, are, you, are you thirsty? I bet some of you are. Because uh, you, you start to talk about disappointment with God and we get thirsty. It's a good thing. Remember Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It, sometimes it doesn't feel good to be hungry and thirsty. But it's a good thing. It drives us to Him.